Welcome to The Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thank you for listening. Palm Beach County, as is the case for many other municipalities, is facing a horrible crisis of opioid overdoses, many of which end up with death. The statistics vary around the country, but we're all seeing exponential rises in overdoses and deaths. There are at one level what appears to be a very large number of rehabilitation facilities, especially here in Palm Beach County. But there is a question about their utility and clinical effectiveness. They are often called sober homes. Dave Ehrenberg is the state attorney for Palm Beach County, and he and his office have taken a very strong and progressive look at these programs. Mr. Ehrenberg, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me on. The question comes up, what role does your office have in what seems to be, at least in the surface, a clinical issue and not a legal issue? How did the state attorney's office become involved in the issues of the sober homes? One of the ways that this opioid epidemic is being fueled is through fraud and abuse in the drug rehab industry. Palm Beach County has long had an established and very prominent drug rehab industry, especially in Delray Beach. What has become corrupted, however, is that through the, the exploitation of federal laws, such as the Affordable Care Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, individuals have descended upon Palm Beach County to exploit people in recovery. So they take advantage of well-intended federal laws for profit. And that's where we step in. As long as the federal government ignores this problem, we at the local level will continue to make arrests of individuals who conduct illegal patient brokering, insurance fraud, and other illegalities that have contributed to the record number of deaths during this opioid epidemic. So far in the last year, we've made 41 arrests, most of them for illegal patient brokering. That's pay-to-play, put-ahead-in-a-bed, illegal kickbacks. We are continuing our efforts to try to clean up this industry. We can't affect what the federal government does or what Big Pharma does or what doctors necessarily do and how they prescribe this stuff but we can, at least on the ground level, root out the fraud and abuse in the drug treatment industry and the criminal activity that goes on. That's our mission, and that's what we've been doing. So the criminal activity is the patient brokering. Is that one of your major focuses? That's one of it, yes. I mean, there's obviously others like drug dealing, you know, whether that's a drug dealer or within the sober home itself, or even if there's a doctor who crosses that line and instead of treating the patient under a standard of care, way, way across that line, you've seen prosecutions there. But really, our Silver Home Task Force, the thing that's gotten us the most attention, is focused mostly on illegal patient brokering, the kickbacks that have fueled this opioid epidemic locally. Maybe we should just for a moment explain the difference between a sober home and, shall we say, a more legitimate drug rehabilitation center. And I guess um, my focus is really on who certifies them, who monitors them, who licenses them. Right. Sober homes are not licensed in a mandatory way. There's a voluntary certification process that you can go through, but there is no mandatory license. There's no mandatory registration or certification. They are just a house. There's no treatment there. There's no insurance reimbursement. It's just a landlord who turns his house into a sober home where you rent out to six, eight, nine, ten people unrelated who are going through recovery. And the goal for legitimate sober homes is to get people into a stable, drug-free environment where you help each other and support each other through recovery. Unfortunately, there have been many instances where sober homes have become flop houses, where they become nothing more than drug dens. They give away free rent in exchange for kickbacks because if a person lives in a sober home and then goes to a outpatient recovery center nearby, insurance will cover a lot of that. And that makes that patient a lucrative commodity to an unscrupulous 
sober home. That sober home can then reap huge profits through illegal kickbacks from the outpatient treatment center that builds insurance for its services. There's a quality to this, as you talk about it, of almost human trafficking. Yeah, the most notorious individual who was busted by the feds is a guy named Kenny Chapman. And among his many counts, included human trafficking. And that was, we have seen in this problem that human trafficking is not uncommon, where the residents are being forced to sell their bodies in exchange for living for free at a sober home. It sounds so not of our day and age and not of our sophistication, not what we're supposed to be doing. So if someone has a drug problem, let's walk through this. Someone has a, a drug problem and they go into a um, real rehabilitative center that gets insurance payment. They graduate from that program. They go into a sober home. Then they relapse and they go back into the rehab centers. Is that sort of the circle? As part of the Florida model of recovery, what happens is you go into an inpatient treatment center or a detox center to start. Insurance covers it about 28 days for the detox, well, excuse me, for the rehab. Detox is shorter than that. But insurance will cover it under the Affordable Care Act and uh, other insurance plans will cover it. When you get out, you go to an outpatient facility for about eight weeks where you just get outpatient treatment, drug testing, counseling, other things. Insurance will pay for that for about eight weeks. Where do you live while you're an outpatient? True. You're in recovery, so it's hard for you to go get a job and pay rent. So what you do is you live in a group home with other individuals in recovery, and you pay sometimes like $200 a week to live there. Hopefully you can find a job and then just be with other people who can encourage you through your sobriety. But what has happened is those sober homes are unregulated, so they can be owned by anyone. Drug dealers, it can be owned by anyone. It can be a flop house where the money is in relapse. The money is not in the rent payments and getting the person healthy and then they leave, is in keeping that person there. There's human trafficking sometimes, there's drug dealing, there's other things uh, that are criminal going on in, in the worst of the sober homes. We're not talking about all of them, we're talking about the, the rogue elements. There's illegal kickbacks. So that individual goes to get urinalysis three to five times a week and then the sober home owner will get a kickback, in the cases of rogue sober home owners, will get a kickback from the outpatient treatment center. Everyone makes money including the patient, the victim in this case. Everyone gets rich except for the taxpayer. And then eventually in this model, the only way the person in recovery leaves is in an ambulance or a body bag because the cycle continues over and over and over again. There is no limit under federal law. And our federal law is encouraging relapse because that's where the big money is, not in sobriety. How do the insurance companies contend with this? It's costing them a fortune over and over and over again. Can they stop the process? Or again, is that something that has to be dealt with legislatively at a federal level? There's no set standard of treatment. And so insurance companies are uh, flummoxed as to how to deal with this because some of them are using this as an excuse to cut off all payments, saying, hey, we're just going to pull out of the market. We're not going to provide or reimburse for uh, your analyses anymore. We've heard that. Others are paying and just trying to find some sort of standardization, some sort of law, some sort of, of agreed-upon standard so that because it varies so widely. And right now, you're in an unsettled area of the law. You're in an unsettled industry where insurance, the insurance companies vary widely depending on the company. Some of them are just paying out because they're afraid to get sued under federal law if they don't. The insurance companies will be a big part of whatever resolution happens here. And I just spoke with uh, the folks from Blue Cross Blue Shield just a few days ago the first time we were able to speak with them, it was very productive. But the insurance companies need to come to the table because we can't solve this problem without them.
The whole notion of a kickback, I, I, I mean, I'm not naive. I've been in this world long enough. I know what happens. But for it to be done so, shall we say, openly, it's such an insult, such an offense to what we're trying to do to help these people who have legitimate problems. And it turns out that all we're doing is festering it and making it worse and encouraging it almost like an entrepreneur tries to enlarge his market. Very disturbing, needless to say. It is. It's so true. It's hard enough for an individual in recovery to remain sober, let alone knowing that his or her sobriety will cost them their free rent, their free benefits, their friends, and now they got to move back home to Northeast, find a job, and live with their parents. You are incentivizing failure. You're making it really hard for people to achieve a lasting sobriety, and there are tweaks to the law that could really help fix this, but Washington, D.C. is too busy with other things, and meanwhile, Rome is burning. When you began to first put together the task force, how was it received? Did the general community understand what you were doing? Did the sober homes get scared and start moving to other counties? What, what has happened? Well, task forces are political code in general for kicking the can down the road. A task force is just a way for politicians mainly just to say, hey, we're going to do something about it, and then you create a task force, and then nothing happens. This was different. This was different because we were dealing with an epidemic and it demanded an immediate response. And this task force had money behind it. The state legislature gave us money to start the task force. We then created three task forces, including one, the law enforcement side, with buy-in from all different law enforcement agencies throughout the county, with forensic accountants, with full-time prosecutors, and then we went to work. And after initial skepticism from members of the media and the recovery community, we proved our worth, and we started making arrests. Since October of last year, our task force has made 41 arrests. About 10 to 13 of them have already pled guilty, and we're working on the others. And more arrests are coming. It is a unique effort that uh, is unprecedented in the country. But what we have found is that the success of our task force has led to a lot of these rogue places shutting down or scattering across the state and country. And so communities across the U.S., are going to be dealing with this if they're not already without the background or experience that we have in it. So we have made ourselves available to any community who wants our help. We've already done a training session for prosecutors throughout the state, and we're going to continue to help because we're all in this together. Without question, as I was preparing for this, it occurred to me that we try to look at these people as patients, but there's a whole other world that looks at them as customers. Very different approach. You know, they're willing victims in many cases because they're in recovery. They have a brain disease. They have this addiction which has taken a hold of them. And so when someone says, hey, you know, I'll let you live for free and, and just test dirty again, just go back on the heroin and you can continue to live for free and get all these benefits, it's hard for those people to say no because they already are, have a weakness for this stuff. What sort of potential punishment do the people that you have arrested face? Is it something that's really serious and going to maybe incarcerate them for a long period of time? Or do the laws need to be strengthened so that they're just not kept around in jail for a little bit and it's really nothing with nothing, and then a year later they go out and they do it somewhere else? The laws were weak initially, but our task force suggested changes to the Florida law, and we got them enacted last year, and we're going back to get more laws enacted. But we did strengthen the law. It is a third-degree felony, punishable about to five years in prison. But because of the sentencing guidelines, before we changed the law, it would take many counts of patient brokering to qualify someone for jail time. And now we've made it uh, easier, excuse me, prison time, prison time. 
Now we've made it easier to qualify someone for prison time. Still not as strong as I think it should be, but people are going to face jail and prison because of this. And when the feds get involved, like they did in the Kenny Chapman case, they face many years in federal prison. The federal laws are much tougher than our laws. Are the sober homes liable for civil suits for malpractice? Sober homes can be sued civilly, but it's not for malpractice because there's no treatment that goes on inside the sober home. But I've not seen sober homes being sued civilly, but I can see that happening. I mean, there's nothing to protect them other than the Americans with Disabilities Act, but in the right circumstance, it's possible there could be a civil suit. But remember, sober homes are, they're just houses. There's no treatment, there's no insurance reimbursement, there's no registration, there's no certification. So we don't even know where they are until they request a exemption under the Americans with Disabilities Act, what's called a reasonable accommodation. That's when cities have to allow them to exist and to house 9 to 12 unrelated people inside a house, even though the city ordinance says otherwise. But because of federal law, the Americans with Disabilities Act, these houses are given special treatment. It would seem to me as a layman, very far from being a lawyer, very far from being a legislator, that these people should be licensed, monitored. They're calling themselves a sower home. They're suggesting that they're doing some sort of rehabilitative process or an environment. Where are we in terms of tightening down the laws under which they can exist? We are still working on that at the state level, and we're making progress at the state level. We are making zero progress at the federal level because the federal government is ignoring this problem. Is this the sort of thing that could be done county by county? It is something that counties can do something, but not too much, because federal law under the American Disabilities Act prevents local governments from doing much on sober homes. So counties, law enforcement, the state, we're all working with one hand tied behind our back. What I find so interesting about what you're doing and talking to you is that my life has generally been to look at this from a clinical point of view. Now hearing what you folks are doing, it's the other side of the coin, and it's the business aspect which is corrupting any of the good clinical work. I I, I can only say thank you for what you guys are doing. I wish this had started many years ago, but it never reached that threshold, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's something that had to reach a critical mass for government to finally get involved. And government has, but only at the state and local levels, not at the federal level. And until that happens, it's going to be a hard slog because the federal government is making it very hard for us to shut these places down. And it is encouraging relapse through their actions unintentionally. They're not intending this, but the laws are being exploited and misused, and there's no effort to tweak, change, or clarify these laws. There has often been the comment that Palm Beach County, unfortunately, is ground zero for a lot of this stuff. Is there any particular reason why Palm Beach County seems to have risen to this position? Is there something, why why here and not elsewhere at, at equal frequencies and equal rates? We've had a long established recovery community here. And so when unscrupulous individuals decided to prey upon people in recovery, where do they go? If you wanted to prey upon gamblers, for example, you go to Vegas. Why Vegas? That's where the gamblers are. If you want to get money, right? why, why do you rob a bank? That's where the money is. That's where the individual recovery are here. Fair enough. Intriguing. So what's in your future here? Is the task force going to expand even more so? Our task force will continue working. It is getting incredible buy-in from law enforcement around the county. But after this last year, which will end the fiscal year 
will end, I guess, next July. We're going to take it down a notch. It won't be as aggressive. The funding will end, but we'll continue making arrests and prosecuting, but it just won't be as aggressive. But that's okay because we've made such a huge dent in two years, and the message is clear that Palm Beach County is not going to tolerate this any longer. And we are a national leader in this. And other communities are looking at what we're doing. But obviously more needs to be done. But if you're a corrupted rehab provider or a sober homeowner, why would you operate in the one county that is most aggressive in shutting you down? You'd probably go somewhere else. And that's where we're offering our services to any community that wants it. Wonderful. And I will do a little bit of side work here and tell people to write their legislators and to give you any funding that you need in order to continue with this work. And it's necessary. This is a fascinating piece of the puzzle. And unfortunately, watching it on media very often, this does not get proper definition. And that's what you've given us. And I want to thank you. Dave Ehrenberg is the state attorney for Palm Beach County. We are speaking to him while he is in his car. So we apologize for any audio issues. We'll try to clean it up as much as we can. Mr. Ehrenberg, thank you so much, sir. Thank you again. Thanks for having me on. And best of luck. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Thank you, too.